You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All right, it's uh, great to be back. And uh, Lena and I have been gone for a little while, so it's been uh, about three weeks, and then uh, it's great to be back home. We want to welcome ourselves back as well. Uh, so <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, we were in Asia for a while, a little bit of a combination of work and vacation as well. So we, uh, a little caveat, don't ever go to vacation where you used to be the minister of that or those churches. There's a lot of work. I preached three sermons. I got together. Lena got together with countless people. So that was great. It was awesome. And uh, those are some pictures. The uh, church there in Vietnam, Ho Chi Minh, uh, they're getting ready to open up their building. Uh, they got about 30 days to go. So they got a lot of work to do. So keep praying for that. That's pretty cool. Uh, and then uh, Lena and I went back to our old dating spot there. Asian, Italian, Mexican, Vietnamese cuisine. That's about everything. <laughs> I got about pretty much everything there. <laughs> pretty cool church in Vietnam. Uh, you see those sisters singing there? The one on the right side? She's actually from uh, the U.S. She works at the embassy there in Ho Chi Minh City. She's, from, she's Alaskan. And I think Hanley's there. And I think they're going on a date together. So, <laughs> so anyway, that's another story. So Lena and I had a little great time there. So one of the things there is uh, there are a lot of dogs in Thailand. And Nicole loves these stray dogs, Nicole and stray dogs. There's something uh, about Nicole and stray dogs, but uh, that's I got a feeling that's how she's gonna meet her husband too, some stray dude somewhere. <laughs> she's gonna bring home and uh, the hair, Dad. But it's great to be back, and uh, we're gonna be starting a series called Parables. But before we do that, I want to welcome also uh, Bridget. Uh, where's Bridget? Bridget, we'd like you to stand on up. Bridget Goldberg, Bridget and Jack are a long-time uh, family uh, here on the west side. It's great to have you back. And then I think we have people from South Africa, San Francisco, all over the world. So today we're going to start a series about the parables. And we're going to really just spend about 10 minutes just to explain what parables are and why Jesus used them so much. Because they were such a big part of Jesus' ministry. Okay, But before we do that, I want to get us to start praying uh, especially for uh, Steve and Carrie. Uh, they took a vacation down to Mexico, and uh, they got sick. And uh, they got some Montezuma revenge there, and uh, they're, they're gone. Uh, the truth is, they're actually in the jail in Tijuana. Brother, I was just kidding. <laughs> and the jails are closed over the weekend, so they'll be released tomorrow. But they're really sick, and uh, I know it's been a little bit discouraging for Steve because of his back. And they took a little break this past week, and then uh, his uh, stomach went out as well. So I, I like to go ahead and start off with a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful to you that we can be together this morning, that we can worship you, give uh, to each other, and uh, Father, at this time here, to really learn from your word. But before we do that, God, we want to pray for Steve and Carrie. We love them so much, and we miss them, uh, God, just over the last two weeks. And uh, God, I know with Steve's back, uh, uh, serious. And I'm grateful that he's able to recover and back on pace. But and then the stomach, you know, I pray that you will encourage them. God, help them to feel that we are thinking about them and that we miss them as well. We look forward to their return. Please be with me this morning as we talk about your parables, a vehicle that Jesus used so many times 
Help us to unlock the mysteries of the parables and to really learn and to grow in our relationship with you and our relationship with your word as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, the parables of Jesus. He used about 46 of them. And that's a real soft number because it's really hard to explain what a parable is. It's like a metaphor, it's like a simile, and it's like all these different things, but it has different nuances to it as well. And we're going to be looking at that today. So Jesus used about 46 of them to explain stuff like what the kingdom is, uh, how we should be in the kingdom, etc., etc., etc. So I think today's going to be a pretty cool uh, little lesson for us. Parables, okay? And a big part of that is that Jesus used it to unlock the secrets of the kingdom. If you read the gospel, it's pretty amazing what Jesus does, right? He goes, what is the kingdom of God like? And he'll go on. It is like this. It is like a man, you know, who found treasure in the field, went away, sold everything he had to buy that treasure. Okay? So he would use these different ideas to get us thinking about what the kingdom of God is like. And that's what parables do. They get us thinking. They're, they're indirect conversation. They're indirect communication to get us to think about deeper things. Okay? What are parables? And why did Jesus use them so much? Number one, what are, what are parables? Parables are then extended metaphor or simile frequently becoming brief narrative, generally used in biblical times for teaching purposes. Okay? Jesus was a master at the parable. And he used it to teach about, like we said earlier on. Okay? And uh, a parable is constructed as a brief, freely invented narrative fiction comprised of beginning, middle, and end. And it dramatizes a common human experience or some incident from nature. A metaphor simply drawn from nature or common life arresting the hearer. I like that. Uh, arresting the hearer, meaning captivating the hearer by its vividness or strangeness as well, I like this one a lot, and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its application to tease it into active thought. That's a mouthful, don't you think? But it's pretty cool, though. I mean, if you really think about those words, it's pretty cool. It's strangeness. The Bible, there are some strange parts in it. I mean, to be honest, you sit down and you go, you know, it's a little bit like, okay, how does this fit together in the overall narrative of Scripture? But I like the last part. You know, teasing it into active thought. And that's one of the goals of the parable. Jesus could have said a lot of things directly, but he didn't. He said a lot of things in indirect language. And as I get older and I have more uh, experience in my own family with teenage daughters and they're growing up, I really see that. You know, sometimes I would say stuff directly and they don't get it. They just don't, right? And someone else comes along and says something and they go, yeah, dad, that was awesome. I'm like, I've been telling you that for like 20 years, right? But that's okay. That's okay. You know, a prophet, sometimes they say, is someone who lives 100 miles away. I get it, okay? So sometimes there needs to be indirect communication for people to get it. You know, the, Jesus appears to operate with the Hebrew concept. It's not a new concept. Okay, when you think about parables, it's used all the time in the Old Testament. Uh, what are some great parables in the Old Testament? Can you think of one? Uh, in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. Well, one is, we're going to look at later on, is the parable that Nathan used to, dis, to convict uh, David. Right? And David had sinned. He was in adultery. Uh, he killed somebody to cover up his tracks. And here comes the prophet Nathan. And what, what was the method that he used? He used what? A story. A story to, to loosen up David's heart. Because by this time, David's heart has gotten so hard. 
But all of his sin, that he uses this device called parable to, to really loosen David's heart. It's pretty cool. There are different kinds of uh, parables. There are aphoristic uh, uh, aphorism, you know, uh, you know, a little short burst of wisdom. There's extended parables where, you know, Jesus could have said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure in the field, and then he extends it out. You know, which a man covered up. Those are extended parables. There are narrative parables. What, what's a great narrative parable that we always uh, get to hear? The lost son is a narrative parable, right? It's a whole story from beginning to end. It's pretty cool stuff. And then, uh, you know, um, here's a parable that is a Chinese parable. It's kind of cool. It says, a man who lost his axe suspected his neighbor's son, meaning that, you know, other people use it as well, uh, accuses his neighbor's son of stealing it. To him, as he observed the boy, the way the lad walked, the expression on his face, the manner of his speech, in fact, everything about his appearance and behavior betrayed the fact that he had stolen the axe. Until, not long afterwards, the man found his axe while digging in his cellar when he saw his neighbor's son, nothing about the boy's behavior, no appearance seems to suggest that he had stolen the axe, right? So it's pretty cool. It gets us to think about ourselves and the way that we operate. How we're so suspicious of people and when we look at people because we think they did, did something and because we think that they did something, it fits into what they, we think that they are guilty of. So everything that they do is wrong in front of our eyes. Pretty deep stuff. Until he found the axe, right? And then it's like, ooh, I guess not. So, why did Jesus use parables so much? You ever wonder that? I do. I go, Jesus, can't you just tell it to us straight? Like, come on, you know? It's like, tell it to us straight. But he uses parables for reasons. And I love this. This is uh, from the psychology. Some dude wrote a book about fiction. So fiction enables people to imagine their selfhood into circumstances other than the usual. What does that remind you of? A good movie, right? We always love good movies. Why? Because we kind of vicariously put ourselves in there, you know, whether it's a, you know, action movie or whatever. I know when I was growing up, the big movie that was going on was Top Gun. They're coming out with Top Gun 2. And oh, how I wish I was Tom Cruise, you know. But anyways, that's another story, right? So, but that's what it's saying. They're, well, Tom Cruise now is about my age. Now I can still relive that again. So thereby, they extended their sense of themselves. This is not persuasion. It does not occur in particular direction. Uh, dictated by the writer of the story, as readers loosen up their own personality, perhaps to become more like the character in the story as they mentally enter a situation other than those they are normally in. They change to become more themselves. It's teaching us that these fiction allows us to escape or get into this world to loosen what's in our own hearts as well. This is from Soren Kierkegaard. He's a real big wig in the philosophical world. This is uh, He lived in the early uh, 19th century. And it says he, he said this. I, I think this is really profound. He says, The indirect mode of communication makes communication an art in quite a different sense than when it is conceived in the usual manner. Uh, to stop a man on the street and stand still while talking to him is not so difficult as to say something to a passerby uh, in passing without standing still and without delaying the other, without attempting to persuade him to go into the same way, but giving him instead an impulse to go precisely his own way. Uh, so I'm, I'm standing up here. John's giving me signals. Walk around. John, I can't walk around when I'm reading. So let me finish reading, all right? So, and then I go like this. All right, so what is he saying? He's saying that 
he's saying that, hey, look, instead of telling someone directly what to do, the, the purpose of the indirect mode of conversation is to, to, to really help people do it themselves. And I think so much of the Bible is like that. I think a lot of the young kids here, and you're in your teens or preteens or whatever, in high school, you know, it's like you sit here week in and week out because your parents probably dragged you here, but the hopes of it is that you figure this out yourself. You can't, you can borrow someone's faith for a little while, but at the end of the day, you need to get your own. So he's saying that giving them instead an impulse to go precisely his own way. You gotta make your own journey, but you're influenced by these things that you're seeing. If I were to wish for anything, he says, I wish not to be well for wealth or power, for the passionate sense of potential, but for the passionate sense of potential. For the eye which ever young and ardent sees the possible, Pleasure disappoints, possibility never. And what wine is so sparkling, so fragrant, what's so intoxicating is possibility. Isn't that cool? So it's saying that, hey, look, you know, it's like all these things I can get pleasure, it's temporary, it's temporal. But the possibility of things to come, that is intoxicating. To me, that is really profound. And that's why Jesus' parable is so captivating for so many people. As they look at their own situation in their lives and, you know, 2,000 years ago in Judea and Samaria and all these different places and they go, man, I'm so stuck in my life. But Jesus was able to do what? To elevate their lives into something that is extraordinary. That's what parables do. Okay? So let's take a look at one. We don't have time. Well, you gotta be careful when you read a parable because sometimes you, 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 you kinda extended it too much, okay? But let's, let's take a look at, uh, oh, I love this. He says, in a better kind of fiction, the author is not trying to persuade. He or she is inviting you towards perception of some aspect of the world, perhaps from the point of view of more than one character and asking you. And these parables, they asked you, right? What do you think? How do you feel about this? And what would you do? Okay, these parables are designed to do that. And we're going to take a look at this one here. Second Samuel chapter 12. As we said earlier, David was caught in sin. He finally got busted after a year because the baby was coming out. And, you know, it was like his whole world was crumbling. God sends Nathan over there. And Nathan did what? He did something clever. He told him a story about this man. We'll pick it up in verse 4. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took a new lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. So Nathan tells him this totally in-depth story about this man who had everything and yet still took something from this poor man. And it, it, it motivated David, his sense of right and wrong, something that's been lacking for so long, something that obviously has been missing for the last year, year and a half, right? So he was able to use this story to get him to at least acknowledge that there's right and wrong. But the problem with the story is that David got the wrong person. He obviously was so easy and so, so, uh, so eager to blame this man in the story. He go, man, that guy... David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He was unaware that he was talking to himself. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. 
Nathan said to David, you are that man. A little simple story. Isn't that amazing? Simple story changed this king's hearts that had been so corrupted, that had been so hard for, for months and months and months on end. And that is, brothers and sisters, friends, the possibility of what a parable can do for us. Amen? If we allow these parables to, to permeate into our hearts, to marinate into our lives, that's the power of these parables. And that's why Jesus used these parables. Keys to reading parables. Parables interpretation is not finding correspondence. You've got to be careful. You can't correspond every single piece to you know, some ridiculous thing that is in our mind. Okay, you have to keep focused on the parable. Parable interpretation is about determining the function of the analogy. All these uh, pales in significance. Rather than seeking a list of correspondence, we seek the elocutionary intent of the parable. He's saying that, look, we try to find out what is the point, what is the main point, and what is the function of the parable. Any theology derived from the parable must be verified by at least and fit easily with non-parabolic teaching of Jesus. You know what he's saying? He's saying that you got to use scriptures with scriptures. you got to use scriptures, maybe non-parable scriptures, to really match what he's saying. Because there's a consistency to what the scriptures are saying. Okay, so you got to use scriptures to help you figure out scripture. Any interpretation based on what is not in the parable is almost certainly wrong. Okay, so it's saying that don't, don't, go, don't go crazy on these parables. Okay, they, are, they were designed for specific things. We're going to take a look at one parable after we see this. And Jesus gives an answer to this, which I don't really get anyways. And maybe you can help me. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And the follow-up question is, why are the secrets of the kingdom given? <laughs> I don't get it. But I read this, right? He doesn't really answer in some ways. But he does. What he's saying about these parables is that they're secrets to the kingdom. And if we can figure out ways to unlock these parables, is really going to help us grow in our relationship with God. What we have, we will have even more. You know what's really amazing about the trip that we went to in Asia in the last two weeks? Is that we haven't seen some of these brothers and sisters for five years. And it's been amazing because the economy is growing. People are making boatloads of money, uh, you know, just incredibly. You know, one of the brothers, his father, get this, bought a piece of land about ten years ago for about three million dollars. And uh, when we first, you know, when we came back there, he told me that that he just sold that same piece of land. Get this, a hundred and twenty million dollars. Crazy, some crazy rich Asians. Really, I'm serious. I mean, some really seriously crazy rich Asians. So, but he had that three million to put down, right? And it grew to 120. I don't even know how. Was that 40 times as much or whatever? So it's pretty amazing story. So the principle of this is that when we figure out how to read and how to really figure out these parables is really going to help us. We're going to look at one parable today. And the title of our short little lesson is called, Do You Want to Know a Secret? Okay, that's what it is. Do you want to know a secret? And here's, here's the point. 
a lot of us, and for a lot of people in the world, although they think that the Bible is amazing, God, and all that stuff, and everyone has a copy in their house or in their homes, but when they pick it up and when they open up the Bible, it's a bunch of gibberish to a lot of people, to be honest. They don't get it. They look at it and they go, uh, I don't get it. And in some ways, it's kind of sad, but in some ways, Jesus says that that's by design. And how could be something that is so amazing, that is so phenomenal, that has changed the world all over in the last 2,000 years? It is the number one runaway bestseller of all time, translated into more languages than any other book, and yet for some people, it is the most boring thing on the face of the earth. It's exactly what Jesus is talking about. If we don't invest ourselves in getting to know God's Word, if we don't invest ourselves in learning how they work, then it, it will become, oh my gosh, the most boring thing on the face of the earth. I preach here every once in a while, and I look out and I see it. I see people that are like, man, tell me more. I see people like, man, I smell the chicken, uh, you know, the lingering, you know, I, 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 a hint of salad, you know, it's like I think that's uh, lemon salad, you know, it's like all that stuff. It is, it is. And, and I think that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, spare yourself of the misery. <laughs> I mean, it's like, get this thing so that you can really prosper. Do you want to know a secret? And Jesus, you know, uh, uh, the Beatles, I got the one the Beatles, right? I love that song. He says, says, do you really know how I really feel? You'll never know how much I really care, right? So, it's, it's a great song, right? It's a great song because it's like, do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? Everybody loves a good secret, right? It's like, it's, hey, just, it's like, it's like you, you're talking in a conversation and you're looking at stuff, you're distracted. But what someone says, hey, I got something to tell you. You're like, what? <laughs> just, just, just between you and me. And that's when you're like, oh, okay. You know, they put the food down and you begin to talk. And that's what these parables are. Jesus is telling us secrets about deep things. And what did he say? He says that you are the salt of the earth. But salt, if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Let's focus on that word you. Okay? What does that mean? That means you collectively, us as a church, and you individually as a human being. Each one of us has a responsibility for our own soul. We have a responsibility for what we take in, what we do with the information that we get, with what is being exposed to us and given to us, and what we do with that is ours and ours alone. But he's also speaking to the group of people too. This is at the beginning of his ministry where he lays out, he says, this is what the community of God's people is going to be like. And these are the ideals, these are the morals, and these are the, these are the central points of who we are. We are the salt of the earth. I don't know what you think about that, but I think that carries along with it an incredible responsibility that comes with it. We are the salt of the earth and we don't have time to go through all the attributes of what salt does or is. Okay, But we know that it's good. We are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, the, the, if it's getting diluted, right? 
And that's what religion is. Diluted religion becomes so abhorrent that Jesus says, what good is it? Nothing, except to be thrown out and to be trampled by men. And we see that today as well. Reasonable, intelligent people, when they look at Christianity and the powerlessness and the ridiculousness of what it is, what people would don't have faith, but just hold on to something superficial, that's what they think it is. They think it's just a crutch, and they are right. They are right. Christianity without power is worth nothing except to be thrown out and trampled by men and to be made fun of and to be mocked, whether outwardly or in their hearts. And Jesus says what? Fair game. It's fair game. It's fair game. So he says that we are the salt of the earth. So let's hold on to that. Amen? Amen. It comes with a caveat, but we are the salt of the earth. And here you see the function of the parable too. Use indirect, uh, direct communication, and we're going to look at some indirect communication. Oh, I'm sorry about that. It says, you are the light of the world. A, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It comes with an incredible responsibility, but we can also look at it as an incredible mission, too. You know how many people in the world walk around with no sense of belonging, no sense of purpose in their lives? They go from one pleasure to another, and that's until the day that they die. We are given this incredible opportunity to do what? To be the light of the world. That's how I see it. That's exciting. That's amazing that my life is it's going to count for something. That I actually have something to give. You ever go in the street and people don't use any cash anymore? People on the street, they're asking for money and you go, man, I don't have any cash because we don't have anything to give. People don't carry cash anymore, right? But we are not like that. We always have something to give. As a people of God, we have something, the ultimate gift to give to people. We really do. You know, I'm looking out and I see Daniel and I appreciate Daniel so much. Daniel's new to our fellowship, Daniel Barnes. He's just good. Daniel, why don't you stand on up, Daniel? Hey, stand, stand on up, Daniel. I appreciate Daniel Barnes. And that's captain to you. He just got promoted, Captain Barnes. I appreciate Daniel. He, he comes into our fellowship. He sees something there and he's excited about it. He's always bugging me. I was super sick last week. He bugs me, he texts me, he says, hey, when can we get together? And I text him back and says, how about January 2020? You know, I was like, I'm sick. Right? But I appreciate his persistence. We got together and we sat down and we talked. And here's an anatomy of a good D time. And I appreciate Daniel forcing the issue. He confesses it. Well, number one, it's only 50 minutes. Those are great D times. 50 minutes, great food. He bought, which is even better. He paid for my burger, which is awesome. Sat down, talked to me, opened about, you know, stuff that he's going through, confessed some sin. It wasn't long, five minutes. That's all I can take. You know, like, that's good enough. You know, it's like five minutes of sin. I confessed a little bit of my own. That's another two minutes. So it was five minutes all together. All right, so we get it in the light, you know, but, but he recognizes that we have something. And I appreciate our conversation. It simulates me. It wasn't long. We, we know. We know. The Bible says, if you got some sin, get it open. You know, the fact that you're getting it open, I mean, that's like 99% of the cure right there. It only took five minutes. Okay? 
So we are the lights of the world. The Bible says that to give light to everyone in the house, we are called to give light to everyone in the house. Church is overrated. Oh gosh, you're a minister? Yes, I am. It is. It is overrated. We come to church and we expect us to do stuff for each other. Right? And then we're disappointed because we're stinking people. We're going to disappoint each other. And that's, we're called to strive, which is great, right? But the way church works is that if everyone does its part, that's how it works. That if we give collectively our light, then collectively it becomes this light together. I know there are moments when we're tired, sick, and stuff like that, but man, you know, guys, there's an expiration date to our excuses. They really are. <laughs> You know why there is an expiration date to our excuses? You know why? Because people moved on. People that you had attitude with, they've repented. They've moved on. Things that you were made you mad, people have changed. People have changed. Don't get stuck holding the bag. Don't. You are the light of the world. Amen? Two quick points. Two keys to unlock the secrets of the kingdom. Two. Two. All right? No one lights a lamp and hides it under a jar. Same, same principle. Don't forget, remember what Nick, Nick Zola said? Jesus probably used multiple sermons at multiple times in his three years ministry. Okay? Different spot, different places. Instead, you put it on its stand so that those who come in and see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out in the open. It will. That's good. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. I love that passage. He says, be careful how you listen. You know, a long time ago, I'm dating myself. In the 70s and 80s, there was this commercial that I still remember. It's about an investment house called E.F. Hutton. Remember that? Some of you old dudes. Right? What was the commercial? I was like, all oh, this noise and all this in the restaurant. And all of a sudden, when E.F. Hutton speak, everybody quiets down. Because he's giving some, he's parsing out some advice about investments. And everyone listens to E.F. Hutton. Right? So Jesus is saying what? Be careful how you listen. And I want to just nail down on a couple things. Okay, a couple things. Number one, in our times with God and the Word of God, are we really considering that a sacred time, if you will? Do you appreciate the Word of God for what it is? And are we taking the time? And, and I'm just going to throw it out there to be more practical. You know, at least 15, 30 minutes a day, sitting down, cracking open the Bible and reading it and really praying to God, even before praying, before reading it, says, God, Open up my heart to this stuff. Let me see. We're too dependent on each other for, for answers. We're too quick to get answers from one another rather than going back to the Scriptures and really having our own personal relationship with the Word of God. I'm just being honest. And when we do that, it gets ugly, guys. It just gets this opinion, that opinion. I'm not really interested in it, okay? I didn't give up my life for your opinions. I'm just being honest. Okay? I mean, I appreciate my wife. We went back to Asia and 
That's the thing I thought was, I can't believe I put her through this. You know, that was like my prevalent thought every day when I was in Bangkok and in Thailand. It's like, you know, I was like, oh, God, love you. You know, don't remember the past. You know, move on. You know, like, you know, I was like, hey, we didn't do this because of someone's opinion or someone's vision. It's got to be your own. Amen. Be careful what you hear. When you crack up, be careful. Amen. Number two. No one lights a lamp and put it in its place where it will be hidden or a bowl. Instead, they will put it on a stand so that those who come and see the light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when you are unhealthy, your body is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Guys, we live in a world of darkness. We do. We hear jokes on late night television about stuff that are just really terrible. Pornography. These jokesters, they get up there and they make it sound so normal that everyone involved in it, that it's okay. It's not. It's an abuse of people. It is. It is not a victimless crime. It is not. It hurts people. I got three daughters. There's no joke in it. There's no fun in it. I think we need to have a deeper conviction on some things, guys. And I think some of us, we let the world permeate our hearts and we're a lukewarm people. We laugh at some of these jokes that we shouldn't laugh at. We shouldn't. We watch stuff that we shouldn't watch. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He says, if we allow stuff to get into our brain, in our mind, and it imprints itself on our hearts, then we become just like that. Be careful what we let in our eyes. Amen? Especially in this visual world. Let's be careful what we see. Let's be careful what we say. Let's really live a life that is in concordance with the gospel of Jesus. Amen? Amen. As we close on out, Mark's going to come up. We're going to have a last song, but i got a gift for you guys. So just listen to this. Ah! Okay. You'll never know how much I really love you. You'll never know how much I really care. <laughs> I'm a good one, guys. Listen, do you want to know a secret? You just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.